Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Once Upon a Phrase. I'm your host, Jason. And your other host, Lisa. Quick reminder, no matter where you're listening, Apple, Spotify, Google, and actually YouTube now. I think we made that announcement on the last podcast. You can listen to us on YouTube. Uh, please remember to rate and review the show. It helps us out tremendously. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Phrase. If you are in the Chicagoland area and you're hungry, like I am, a lot. Uh, <laughs> check out our sponsors, our favorite sponsors, and our favorite people. Fat Chris's Pizza and Such. They're in Andersonville, so they can do delivery if you're in the area, or you can stop on in and see them. Also, some new season two things to let you guys know. We are doing bi-weekly episodes. Um, in addition, we are taking phrases submitted to us through Instagram or any of our other social media platforms. Or if you know us personally, send us a text. Yes, and today's listener request is going to be awesome, so I can't wait for that. But let's get us started today. We are going to talk about words and phrases with military influences. So this will be our military episode. Um, Lisa, why don't you get us started? So the one I found, I have not personally heard, but again, maybe I don't hang around the same, same group of people that may, may use this lingo. Uh, my phrase is, shot across the bows. Have you heard this one before? Oh, I've absolutely heard this phrase before, but I have never said it myself. And I've only ever heard it. It's got to be in like a TV movie, something like that. But it's one of those phrases where it doesn't even register. It's just words out of somebody's mouth. But I've definitely heard it across. If I've got to take a wild guess, i got to say it's something to do with archery. I don't know. Shot across the bows just makes me think of bow and arrows it actually is not so actually shot across the bows is warning someone of coming danger like the danger of being hit by a bow so no i'd actually do with boats not bows like bow and arrows nope has nothing to do with bow all right i'm lost now so what they would do is they would shoot cannonballs into the bows of the boat which is like the front shoulder area of a boat and it was done to warn them to either stop or prepare to engage in battle. Okay, so I, I guess I do know what the bow of a boat is, but that is not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think bow. So what would happen is before um, there were radios, boats would use to identify themselves by different colors, right? So that's how you would know like where the boat was from and who was on the boat. Sure. And so when the color wasn't visible or they weren't able to identify it, they would shoot a cannonball through the bow. That's like a warning, like, hey, identify yourself. So, like, warning shots. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that do damage to the boats? I didn't, I didn't figure that out, but I assume it would do damage. Yeah, it just feels like there's got to be a better way. Well, I guess there I mean, is a better way. I mean, way. but think about radio it. Before, before, before the radios, if we are 100 miles up, I mean, 100 miles. Let's say 10, 15 miles apart. How are you going to communicate with me to know that I'm not an enemy ship or a I'm, boat? I'm going to shoot shoot you. No? Is that not the answer you were looking for? No, you're not going to shoot me because what if I'm not an enemy? What if I forgot to put up my bow? Well, I apparently, or like, what if I forgot to put my colors up? Well, I've apparently already damaged you um, if you're a boat. 
Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? I can't think of it. I know you being the historian. Um, that one Greek myth where he went on a conquest or and he was supposed to come back and he was supposed to put up the sail. Yeah, Theseus and the Minotaur. But he didn't put up the right sail, the right color. No, and his dad jumped off a cliff because of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was him being punished by the gods. That's a whole other story, but hilar- But that reminds me of like, not, like yeah. not putting up the right color. Well, I mean, we're from Chicago. We know what it means to fly <laughs> the wrong colors. Uh, for any of our listeners that live in a major metropolitan city, you know what I'm talking about. You got to make sure you're wearing the right colors. But actually, this is the same thing. If you're wearing the wrong colors, you might get shot. That's true. So as with all of our phrases, it gets its momentum from the media. So in 1839 edition of the Metropolitan Magazine, the phrase read, In a very brief space, we neared our victim, a large merchant merchant man who, uh, whose appearance promised at once an easy conquest and rich booty. At a signal from Stamar, a shot was fired across her bows to bring to her. She immediately hoisted a white flag and began to take her in sails. Take in her sails. So I guess this is, you know, a way that they've used that phrase to kind of show that someone just waved the white flag like, I'm not going to battle. We're done here. You can take over, like take the bounty. All right. So now it's used more of a last resort if no other way is found to be successful. So it's not used commonly now. I think, though, it's funny because obviously we're talking about boats here, but the same practice is used with, like, uh, airplanes, right? I know if you're in an airspace and you don't identify yourself, you know, they'll attempt to make radio contact and those things. And, but then as a last resort, they will fire on you. I, I've seen it in movies. Also, oh, I'm basing that completely on movies. I don't know well, if so- that's real, uh, <laughs> if anybody would care to chime in, but I'm under the impression that that is real and you will be fired upon. Well, wasn't... So, speaking of another way they do that, that was also done in that one movie you watched about a submarine, where the, where the submarine wasn't identifying itself because it was a enemy submarine, and it kept it, and then it started to shoot at the and other one. And then it got fired. Yeah. Right. I, when I stay up really late, especially when you we're on summer break. find those B movies, yeah. I love those B action movies on Netflix. I don't know what it was, but yeah, same thing. So, so I wonder, I wonder we'll if that's like, just, like, a common thing to do, like, to, to fire, like, well, I think it's common, like, you fire a warning shot, right? Yeah, so, but before there were submarines, before there were planes, I mean, there were boats. So, it, it actually, this makes sense that the origins of shot across the bow would. And it probably, like I said, still, if there's no way to have contact, or you're not, resp- like, in the case of, like, the airplane or the submarine, if you're not responding to radio contact, well, then you re- resort to the last resort, which is to shoot shoot a bow. Shoot at the bow. Shoot across the bow. My bad. Not an actual bow. No. Okay. A cannonball. I don't think they use cannonballs now, though, but just maybe a missile. Really big bullet. Yeah. All right. All right, what do you got for us? So, um, to cut and run. So, have you ever had to cut and run? I don't run, so I don't think I'm cutting and running anywhere. If that's, but if, if somebody I, were to cut and run, what does it mean? So, I, when I think of it, for some reason, I think of someone, like, like the beginning of a marathon or beginning of a race, like just starting it. I don't know why I think of the beginning, but I think of like a marathon for sure. Maybe beginning a marathon. I think you're focusing too much on the run part. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's having PTSD <laughs> from when she's had to run. Very um, seldomly. 
No. Um, so to cut and run, it typically means that you're just, you're going to retreat, you're going to get out of a difficult situation, there's problems that you are no longer willing to deal with, so you cut and run. You, you get Isn't out. Is like cut, the, cut your losses, similar to sure, that? Sure, yeah. Okay. So I do think, I'm pretty sure cut your losses, that's um, a gambling background to it. But yeah, this is same meaning, but different phrase. To cut and run, you're just, you're getting yourself out. There are... You know, it's going to be a difficult situation, and you just you want out the circumstances and the consequences. You're not in it anymore, so you're going to cut and run. Okay, where did that phrase start? So, um, same thing with you with boats. Um, so this originally goes back to nautical times, right? Even um, before you would think. The idea is, if you were on a boat and you were in a difficult situation, or you were and again, this shows you how long back this goes. If you were um, trying to get out of a bad storm or pirates coming your way, something like that, the first thing you would have to do is raise the anchor. Well, anchors go down really far because, you know, they got to hit the bottom. So you don't actually have time to sit there and raise the anchor. If you're in a bad ah, situation, a storm so is you coming. Just cut the rope. Cut the rope, cut and run. Ooh. This would be the quickest, fastest way to get out of a hazardous situation. You don't take the time to get the anchor. You don't worry about that. You cut the rope and you go. So it's, and again, yours is on boats, mine's on boats. I think this kind of pays homage to how long boats have been a part of military, you know, because that's sort of our theme here. Mm -hmm. Because before planes, before tanks, before, you know, any of that stuff. They had to travel by boat to get from place to place. Travel by boat, it was... It was the only way to fight. You know, they've been doing battles in boats since, you know, ancient Greece. So a, a lot of our military sayings, you know, sayings in general, you can see have roots in boats or nautical terms. I don't know why I just think of this, but like cutting the anchor, I'm like, that makes sense. Like you have to get out of that situation because you're in danger or you think like the, the situation is not going to end well for you. But in my head, I think about it as, do they have a second anchor so that when they get somewhere safe, they can actually stop the boat so the boat stays in place? Yeah, I would imagine most, you know, especially larger boats, ships. It's like a ships. heavy thing to, like, hold on to. Yeah, but most ships, I imagine, have, you know, a secondary anchor or another one. Probably not your everyday smaller boats. You Just know, like a spare tire, but like a spare anchor, I assume? Sure. Um, but, I mean, even that, uh, if, if you call somebody an anchor, you know, they're bringing you down or somebody will say, hey, you know, cut them loose, you know, cut the anchor, meaning you want to get free. The same deal. But I don't think we appreciate how much of our language comes from, you know, boat related stuff. Maybe we should do a boat episode. Ooh, I just think we just assume that all of these terms that are used now are something that someone came up with 10, 20 years ago and that it's not something that has such rich history to it. But I don't think we, everyone appreciates. See, I'm the exact from. opposite, and that's probably because you know I'm a historian. I assume everything has deep roots in history, and we—I mean, I tell you this all the time. Like whenever we watch movies, and it's sort of the same thing over and over. I'm like, they haven't thought of an original idea since The Matrix, you know. Uh, so I assume everything is deeply historically rooted, and even The Matrix is not an original idea. It's a, it's a Plato's allegory of the cave, but that's a different podcast. I can't see the correlation, but I'm it's not. It's exactly the same. Are you, well, how long do we have? <laughs> no, you know what? We're not going to do this now. 
Um, the Matrix I is vaguely, a direct. I vaguely rip. remember the allegory of the cave, so that's why. I vaguely probably... remember the Matrix, dude. But all right, anyways. all right. So keeping on with our military theme, we've got two nautical references. You know, firing warning shots at boats. We've got you know getting away from pirates or dangerous situations. So you got to cut and run. Where are you taking us next, Lisa? So we're moving past boats. Um, we no. are moving on to land ish. Um, my phrase is bought the farm. Oh. Do you know this one? Yeah, this is sad, right? If you bought the farm, doesn't this mean like you're dead or something? So it means you died in an unexpected, unexpected manner. So it wasn't, it wasn't an, it wasn't, it wasn't a plan. Expected. And yeah. what is it? it wasn't Thank like you a... for defining unexpected for our audience. Well, so. I'm just saying, you know, like if you're sick and like you know someone's dying, that's different. But like this was like happened out of nowhere, spontaneously, right? Yeah, to to, to buy the farm. Yeah. Which have you ever have you ever used that phrase or heard that phrase? Because until looking it up. I did not know what this was. What are you doing with your life? I'm not a historian. I'm sorry. He's not a historian. They probably use this phrase in every mobster movie. Oh, they bought the farm. They went up north and bought the farm. That's what you say when. Uh, Do they use it in Goodfellas? Because that's, that's the one movie that I remember. Do they use it in Goodfellas? It's the only mob movie you've probably seen. Um, I've seen the other ones. I'm not a big fan the of them. The other ones, like there's four more or something. No, yeah, it, it's a common phrase. I would assume most of our listeners know what it means to buy the farm, but. How does buy the farm mean death? I guess that's that's what you're here for, right? Yeah, so there was a, there's a few possible origins. I couldn't tie it down to just one. Um, one of them was is that during World War II, when a soldier would die, that his GI insurance would be enough uh, to pay off the family's mortgage. Oh, and back then, I would imagine that a lot of these families, you know, especially these soldiers, they're country boys. They're, they're from farms, not big cities. Right, so. so so this quite literally means that they could buy the farm. Yes, that's that's definitely one of the possible origins. I love it when a phrase is just in your face, literal, like, and you, you don't even realize it. Like to buy the farm, it, I mean, oh, sorry, go on. So another one is a possible a possibility that when farmers um, whose buildings were damaged by fighter planes, they would sue the government for their damages and. They would get enough money to settle up that would cover their mortgage. That it would literally buy the farm as well. Or I mean, enough to, like, buy that piece of land. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like the GI insurance origin is more likely. But, you know, if you think about how many planes are going down, like, I mean, that happens, right? If the government ruins your property, they do have to pay for it. No? I mean, you might take probably forever to get the money back or to get the money oh, given yeah. to you. No, that's right. We got, yeah. we're going through that now. We're waiting for the department, the Chicago Department of Finance or Revenue or whatever I it's called no to cut idea. us a check for something wildly unrelated to this podcast. But yeah, I guess if you're waiting on the money, uh, you might not buy the farm. Your kids might be able to buy the farm. You might the have that mortgage paid off before the farm, pay, before the government pays you out. Um, one other possible origin which I, which makes sense too if you think about it is that it refers to when a person dies they buy a plot of land as their burial site like a cemetery. Ooh, I don't like that one. <laughs> it, no, I just think that one. I mean, no, I. The other two, the the insur- the GI insurance and the actual like government settling up with you, I think those are more likely, um, especially knowing that back then a lot of people were. We're living on the country, like I said. So a lot of these families um, would use that money to do the only sensible thing, and that's 
make sure the farm is there for the rest of their family, you know? I mean, or, again, which I think is really fun about these phrases, is that because they date back so far, I mean, this one only to World War Two, so not as far as some of the other ones, but they date back so far that it's like playing this, like, game of telephone, where, I guess not telephone, because it's not how you hear it, but how you interpret it, but, like, someone back in the 1940s might interpret it because farming was a big deal back then, and then as time progresses, the phrase is used differently, so when asked what it means and where its origin, they might not think back to so just like World War Two, assuming its origins there, and might think it has different origins. No, I, I hear that, and I just want to point out, farming is still a big deal, okay? You like to eat? You know what I mean. I just mean, we have a large following in Iowa. I don't know if you're aware of this. <laughs> I look at our <laughs> analytics on our the platform we use, and we do have a large, so I don't I don't want to offend any of our Iowa peeps. Farming is still a big deal, okay? You know what I mean. I no, think, no, I'm with you. I think no, just I got depending you. on the group that you're talking to, the phrase is used differently. And I think that's how phrases today are too. We think they started a certain time based on a certain event and others will think it happened due to another occurrence. So, Yeah, well, I think everybody likes their claim to fame. You know, you say, oh, this happened in my generation. We've been saying that since my generation. And then somebody else will say, yeah, but we don't use it like that anymore. We mean this. And that's how my generation is. Yeah, and unless it's documented in some sort of, like, print, like a newspaper or something like that, that they can refer back to as a starting point, there really isn't a way to say, this is 100% where this began. So, yeah. what do you got to finish us off? All right, so this is the term deadline. So, I mean, you're a functioning adult. You know what it means to be on a deadline, yes? That just makes me think back to my college days of all the deadlines of when this paper was due and this project was due. Absolutely. The school, work, like we all got deadlines, right? Mm-hmm. So remember how I just mentioned that there was um, something just innately interesting about when something is just in your face literal? I love phrases like that. Deadline is that. So this goes back to the Civil War, right? And what they would do is, you know, with prisoner camps, they would, you know, put them all in a certain area, and they would draw a line on the ground, and if you cross that line, they would kill you. That's how they housed. That sounds prisoners. super cruel. I mean, it's a, it's a prisoner camp during a war. Like, let's not pretend, you know, they weren't killing each other otherwise. No, but they were already in prison. Why do we have to? Why do we have to play this game of you cross this line, I kill you? It wasn't a game. They were in a... Not a game, but, like, it's just... It seems... They were in prison. They That was the line. You cross... You don't want to die, don't cross the line. I'm not justifying it. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. What I mean is that the prisoners were meant to stay in a certain area, and if they crossed that line, it was called the deadline. If you crossed that line, you're dead. But now, obviously, it doesn't mean that. The term is transitioned to be more of, like, a, a time limit thing. So you have up until this time... Well, I mean, what happens if you miss a deadline? I mean, you could be in trouble. You could be reprimanded. I yeah, mean, it's something could... bad. You, you get a bad grade or your boss is upset yeah. or something. So it's like, obviously, the consequence is not as serious as death. Like, I wonder how it made the, like, the transition from being used in, a, in that form of, like, literally dying if you cross a physical line on the floor to being used in everyday life to refer to not finishing something or doing something in a timely manner when it was due. Well, I just think it's sort of how times have changed. Like, obviously, this came about during the Civil War, right? Well, 
after that, you know, we still have world war. You know, there's wars that happen after the Civil War for sure. But what I mean is that war wasn't dominating the the plane anymore. You know, we weren't at war. So you take phrases like that and you transition them to everyday life. And every day, people got to go to work and people got to go to school and people have to do things. And if they don't get things done, it's you know they're in trouble or you know it, it's it's bad. So when else have you seen that? You know, well, if you cross this line, you would die. So. Again, it feels like a jump, but I, I do like that the actual deadline, you know, the line that you crossed and then you would be shot, is something that they took and morphed from, hey, this only applies to prison camps and war, to everyday life. And we see that a lot with, you know, on our last episode, the uh, food part two, right, with slush fund. Remember you made the point that we take something that was used in everyday military life and it's got to get applied when people are done with the military. Well, yeah, I think we just, we discussed like when people people come from all across the world to participate in the military, and when they all finally go back to wherever they call home, they have this lingo that they've been using for however long they were away, and it just becomes part of their everyday language. And again, probably very strange to those who have never heard it before, but I'm sure as it's been used frequently, people catch on that becomes a new phrase that they also use. So, yeah. Yeah, because situations change. The world changes. But the phrases stay. You just have to slightly alter their meaning. Because, you know, like you mentioned, you, you say the words enough, they become part of your vocab. But now you're not at war. Or now you're not in the military. And now you're not doing this. And now you're not doing that. So you just find different ways to adapt the phrases that you're already going to use. Quite interesting. All right, so to wrap this up, I wanted to keep it military-related, right? Because, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now, this episode. And unfortunately, a lot of military phases are just very much, like, in your face, you know, like. Yeah, I noticed a lot of them were looking up. It was quite literal what it meant. Yeah, from just and it was something that you It wasn't would, something that there was much background to. It was quite literal. Or it was something that you would only say if you were in the military, right? So to kind of get more out of this um, instead of a listener coming to us. I went to a listener. Um, so my brother listens to us a lot. And I asked him, like, what is something that he thinks, you know, is a military phrase. And um, he actually brought up a flash in the pan. So he brought that up because he knows what it means. So he was like, oh, you should do flash in the pan. I bet people don't know. So have you ever heard of what it means to be a flash in the pan? So because we cook a lot, all I have is splash in the pan, or flash in the pan, sorry, I can't speak today, is when you put hot oil in a pan, and it like... I mean, I think you're thinking of a splash in the pan? I don't know, when I think of pan, I just think of food. Okay, flash in the pan. Um, so actually, this has a sports tint to it, like, because oftentimes... So what it means is, like, if somebody just explodes, right, if... if I hear this a lot in sports when, like, a rookie comes in or a guy has a really great game and then sort of doesn't do anything else. Okay, I get the flash part, but where does this pan thing come from with explosion? So it goes back to its origins, and I think this is what my brother was hinting at, is that the oldest of guns, right? You go back and think, and again, Civil War times, um, is the musket, right? And if you know how you load a musket, it's 10 steps, which is... You know, extremely Please difficult. give us the short version because I don't know how to load one. 
it, well, you have to understand how the firing mechanism works. But when the hammer comes down, it think of a cap gun. You know how a cap gun works? Yes. The, it pokes the thingies. The hammer comes down, yes. and then that thing sparks. That's kind of in a very loose, simple way of how a musket works, right? You put the black powder in the barrel, and then okay. you put the, mu the musket ball down. And but you had to put, you know, a firing cap on, and when it Trying to think of a way to explain this since our listeners don't have the visual. Um, when the hammer would come down, you want it to spark, and you want that spark to ignite the gunpowder, and you want the gunpowder to explode the musket ball out of the barrel, right? Okay. That's the general understanding of how a gun works. Okay. Well, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the hammer so comes like down. A dud that's yeah. Dark. The hammer comes down, and there's just a flash. The pan is the the other part of the firing mechanisms. Sometimes there would just be a flash in the pan. Or, sorry, I said flash. A flash in the pan. So you'd get all the, the, the it would look like the gun fired. You got the, the explosion, the sound, and the smoke, and all that, but the, the gunpowder never lit. So today, like I said, I hear it a lot in sports. You get the explosion, somebody has one great game, or maybe one great season, and then they fizzle out. So it's all of the effect with none of the follow through. Ah, okay, that makes sense. I think it worked like you just fizzled, like it just, yeah, kind of just, and then stops. But if you fired a musket and you got the, the flash, but you didn't get the musket ball to come out, it was a dud, you know, which is what you would call somebody or somebody who, I guess now they say, oh, they burn too bright, too quick, or something like that. I think that's a star reference, but I, same idea. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I don't think the flash in a flash in the pan. Um, is something that's used often now. Oh, I hear it all the time. But again, I think more, it's more, well, you don't what, watch as much what? sports. Sports. Like, what are you? Sports all the time. Literally all the time in sports. They talk about somebody at a flat, especially if it's a good game. You know, I, I play a lot of fantasy football. But if it's a good game, and that would only mean if they only had a good game, right? Which happens all the time. Or a couple good games, considering how long a season is or how long a career is. If somebody just has, you know, Let's say two good games in a row. They are hot in fantasy football, and everybody wants to pick them up, and people will do whatever to you know waiver wire. This is not a fantasy podcast, but and they would say, "Oh, so and so is a flash in the pan." Only afterwards, if they stay good, then they're good. Okay. If they, you know, if they fizzle out or that's it, remember all of the, all of the flash, but none of the follow through. Like when the musket doesn't fire. So hindsight, when they look back at the situation. Yeah, so it, this would he, happen he would, toward like the end of a season, not necessarily like beginning of a season. Because nope, beginning of the season too. You know, I mean, oh, they have like any a point. good game, and like two games later, they've done nothing since yeah. then. They might talk. Okay. Or you might have a rookie that has a good rookie season and then just never pans out. All hmm. of the flash, none of the fizzle. So, um, I like I said, my brother pointed me in that direction, and I was just. My mind was blown because I was like, I hear Flash in the Pan. That's a sports reference to me. I would have put that on our sports-themed show. But it absolutely has military roots going back to you know firing muskets in the Civil War. And um, I, I was just enamored by that. I was like, we got to get this on. That's actually what that listener request is what got this episode themed. Uh, so that way I could fit it in. Um, but on that note. Um, please remember, wherever you're listening to us, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, um, rate and review us. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Phrase and submit your listener requests so we can add them to our bi-weekly shows. And if you are in the Chicagoland area and you happen to be around the Andersonville um, neighborhood, please stop in and see our buddies at Fat Chris's Pizza. And delicious pizza. You gotta let me finish the name so people know. (laughs) Fat Chris's Pizza and such. Now say it. They have delicious pizza. Sorry, guys. I'm just really excited. I like pizza, and they have such delicious Detroit-style pizza. We got to stop recording this before we eat. You can tell we're hungry. (laughs) Maybe we should eat dinner and then record this. But All right. um, Yeah, go see our our buddies at Fat Chris's Pizza and such. Uh, They do such an amazing job. And until next time, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.